This is Tim Lee. Good morning. Good morning, Tim, and welcome to the Sand Hill on an early Friday morning in Singapore and an early evening out there in California. How are things? Things are good, and uh, um, thank you for uh, getting me back on your podcast. Oh, yeah, you know, it's always a pleasure, Tim, and um, for everybody who's listening in, uh, Tim and I did a great episode a couple of weeks ago um, about, you know, technology and life in California, Mm -hmm. and he obviously lives in a very enviously, uh, you know, (laughs) sought-after beautiful part of the world. Um, But we, Tim and I decided to do this episode today because of something which is more pressing around us, which Mm is, um, you know, disagreeable things, diverting our attention from building stuff and taking things out to people um, in our communities and to the wider world. Um, We are for want of a better word, technologists. Some of us build things, others sell things that, mm-hmm. you know, our friends build. Uh, and we all do it together. One of the important lessons I have learned over the years is that if you are in the technology business, whether you um, agree or not, you are in it together. That's you right. just can't get away from it. Um, you know, this is a business which has been created by immigrants by minorities, by people of all kinds of very diverse backgrounds. And the reasons for that often have been complicated, sometimes because people didn't get the right break due to prejudices or barriers Mm -hmm. or structural issues, or just, you know, people traveled halfway across the world looking for a better life and found the right environment to work in uh, or live in or study in, and then their children were born there and grew up, and they, they just found the ecosystem and the support to do mm-hmm. things. Um, and I think it's disheartening to find that there is still so much of, um, you know, angst mm-hmm. and... Uh, Misunderstanding you know, sometimes. And neg- yes, mm-hmm. yes, and negativity, which is lurking just below the surface. Um, And I thought that you and I, Tim, could talk a little bit about it. I mean, both of us are obviously, you know, immigrants. You are, um, I think you were born in China, right? If I'm not mistaken. That's right. You were born in China and you migrated to the U.S. Um, I was born in India and I migrated to Singapore. um, And both of us had the good luck to have great lives. Uh, relatively speaking. And, um, of course, I migrated at a very, uh, you know, from immigrant terms at a rather advanced stage. But um, you migrated when you were a kid. Um, In Singapore, we have been very fortunate to not have to encounter the kind of issues that people do in the rest of the world. But I think that's also, therefore, very important that all of us recognize you know, what's going on and generally have a chat about it and um, see how we can build a better tomorrow, which is really the theme of uh, this episode. So, Tim, why don't you go ahead and, um, you know, tell us what you think? Yeah, so last time I came on your podcast, I was uh, introduced as a 
technologist, a fintech enthusiast, uh, build a lot of software. Uh, but I think the audience didn't know that I'm also an immigrant of the world. I uh, came to the United States fairly young, uh, at my, in my age, uh, back in the early 90s. It's been, uh, I've been living in uh, the United States for about 30 years now. Uh, right. My mother also have uh, uh, arrived in the United States uh, way earlier than I have, uh, probably in the, in the 80s, right? So the United States mm. is all she knows, and she resides currently in San Francisco. She thinks of uh, San Francisco as her home. I certainly think of uh, United States as my new country. Um, not for a second would I think that I will pick up and leave my family, kids, associates, friends are all here. And I've made a lot of really good friends, including you, Kasab, uh, yep. uh, all around the world, um, you know, because of the opportunity of this country, the United States have afforded me and my mother uh, and my children and my wife. Um, so you're right. I think uh, even in 2021, there are misunderstandings. There are lots of fear, I want to say, right, of, people that may not um, uh, may not have to come to the understanding of, of uh, our intent. You know, you can replace the word our with the immigrant intent or anybody that wants to visit another country. Our intent is very simple. We want to make a better life for us, for our children, for everybody else around us. That's our only intent, right. pure and simple. Uh, not for a second do we have any... Uh, you know, nefarious uh, thoughts about taking advantage of the country, the people whom so welcomed us, right, in the direst of consequences uh, into this country. So we couldn't, you know, we couldn't uh, be, be happier or fast enough to uh, repay what, what was sort of given to us, you know, mm. as a, you know, a good standing citizen, paying our taxes. In fact, some of us, including me, have started businesses, have employed 60, 60 70 Americans right, right here in California. We're trying to do our right. best to give back to our society uh, without, without question. That's who we are. Uh, we are your neighbors, we're your uh, restaurant servers, we're your teachers, we're your colleagues. Uh, we are in all fabrics of society and we have people that works in different industries right not everybody has a you know good math skills like some of the stereotypes would, would uh right would right and uh, sad about us we're here we're here to help we're here to melt we're here to integrate my kids fortunately or unfortunately can only speak one language which which is the english language um mm. you know they're americans by all uh, accounts of imagination. They're here, we're here, we're here for America. And mm. unfortunately, we have some incidents of late that really doesn't sit well with me personally. Uh, my mother that's living in San Francisco, living in fear at the moment. I couldn't be here, be there to protect her or comfort her. Um, but, you know, again, Kostas, thank you for letting me be on your podcast, using your platform. To, uh, to talk about some of these personal experiences that we're experiencing today. So I <clears throat> generally <clears throat> wanted to, um, Tim, take this opportunity. And, you know, I had to clear my throat because it's mm -hmm. early morning, you mm -hmm. know, here. 
and uh, I haven't had my first cup of tea. So this is the time when your throat is all a little fuzzy and tongue is thick. And, you know, you don't sound as nice and eloquent as you do later in the day, but never mind that. Um, so I wanted to get your um, experience a little bit for our um, listeners, because I think when we often um, talk about current issues, right, and we don't talk about those, we really carry on regardless, mm -hmm. because that's what, you know, we do in business and tech. Um, we don't necessarily need to talk about you know, what's going on in the immediate sense. But what helps is to give a backdrop of how life was in the early days and, um, you know, how you grew up and um, sure. what you saw around you. Uh, it would be great to hear that. Yes, absolutely. Kustav, thank you. My, my upbringing um, is, I think it resonates with a lot of uh, immigrants, immigrants. Uh, there's their story. Mm. I was brought to America. My mom was already here. Um, she studied in America. She decided to stay in America. Um, this is right around the time of, if you remember, uh, the, uh, the, the, the students' uh, democratic movement in China in 1984. Yep. She just so happened to be uh, right around that period. And uh, uh, I believe it was Senior Bush that gave amnesty to uh, lots of foreign uh, national students, uh, specifically from China, to stay in America for, for the fear of prosecution at, you know, back home, back in China. Mm -hmm. um, so she was, uh, uh, she decided to stay in America and I didn't see my mother as a child, if you can imagine that, for many years. And that kind of mm -hmm. certainly influenced me who I am today now. But somehow or another, uh, one day I was picked out of school, <laughs> I was in elementary school, and my mother, mm. my father and I got on a flight at United Airlines and flew from my home country of China to uh, San Francisco. Mm. Uh, this is year 1992, I believe. Um, and I didn't know the word of English, uh, know the alphabet well, because <laughs> they at least taught that in school. Right. I didn't speak the language. Uh, I arrived at the airport. Um, and my mother was there um, welcoming us. Back then, uh, family can actually come all the way to the gate. Right now, you can't. Yeah. Um, I so that. I, I remember that day clearly because I saw my mother, or at least the image of my mom, mother, because I haven't seen her in seven or eight, seven, eight years. And as a child, those are all early formidable mm. years where if you haven't seen a, a sibling or let alone a parent, you don't really recognize them. So I saw, I saw, my, saw my mother. She mm. was waiting. And in my mind, I'm like, that's my mom, but it doesn't look like her, if you get what I'm saying, because I haven't seen her in so long. Right. And I was in shock. Right. I flew for 14 hours with my father. And back in the days, so you can actually smoke on the plane. So I was completely yeah. discombobulated with all of that, plus the time zone difference mm. whatnot. So I, I arrived. I was in shock. I... Uh, yes, I wasn't sure if that was a taxi or some of her friends picked me up, uh, went to her apartment, washed up a little bit. Um, truth be told, uh, between you and I and the audience, that was the first time I've seen a shower because mm. <laughs> we didn't have that equipment in, the, yeah. in, in China. And uh, I was uh, taking a shower for a god awful amount of time. And my mom finally knocked on the door and said, hey, are you okay? 
And as it turned out, I didn't know how to turn on the showers. I was waiting. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, things um, like, right. Quite, incredible. Exactly, incredible journey so far. But um, and one of my mother's friend, Michael, Michael Hayes, who uh, lives in Chicago now, was super mm. nice and brought me a quintessential American dish, which is pizza. Ah. Okay. I have never seen one, nor do I have ever tasted one. <laughs> mm. Right. Um, for a couple of reasons, uh, there, there's no cheese uh, in China. Certainly, mm. there's no tomato sauce, if you will. Right. He brought me the quintessential mm. cheese pizza or pepperoni pizza, and certainly there was no pe- pepperoni. I haven't, I haven't seen that much meat on anything because um, we, so, we, we were uh, dead poor. <laughs> so let me let me um, go back a little bit to you know your very early days in china when you were mm. still in elementary school so it's interesting that you mentioned that some of these things weren't available i mean obviously now many of these things are quite universal i mean if you walk into any department oh store oh, anywhere wow. in the world yes you can exactly the same thing and almost always the same brand that's right uh, but i can relate to what you're saying um, because when I lived in India, and obviously I lived in India into a much older age than you did, uh, but I think well into my high school, um, there were these import substitute brands, for mm-hmm. want of a better word. And I don't mm-hmm. want to disrespect those brands because some of them were homegrown and absolutely excellent brands. But um, we knew about some of these dishes, and we may have had a vague familiarity with them through popular culture, like seeing them on movies and stuff like that. But um, unless somebody went overseas and made those things or got you those things by making them at home, it, you know, it was quite difficult. So what, what, what passed for recreational food in China when you were a kid? Um, did you have what we do here, which is, you know, the usual bao or you went out for a snack like mm-hmm. that or something? So different. we, um, you know, I was born in the late 70s. Uh, right. Right. Well, much much before when China opened up, when Deng Xiaoping sort of uh, visited the U.S. and Japan and all mm. that, right, when, when China really opened up and became this socialist uh, kind of a capitalist uh, flavor, mm. flavoring country. So we didn't have any food, first and foremost, and everything is on a coupon. And it's not a coupon mm. to get discounts. It's a coupon to buy food. I remember when I was go- well, growing up as a kid, I would go to these government-sanctioned uh, uh, stores. And you right. tear off these coupons out of a coupon book. So basically, it's rationed. You get two eggs per mm. week or per month, whatever it might be. And I, 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 I hate to say this, but you get 10 milligrams um, or something silly like that of pork per month. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what my father would go would do that they would, would go to the again a government store government grocery store, tear off the coupon. You still have to pay money for it, right? The coupon just essentially allows you to buy it for the month, right? And they would take a sliver of a chunk of pork, if you will, put that into mm. a, a piece of newspaper and, and hand it over to us, right? And we can't eat the meat. <laughs> it's not for consumption. <laughs> I'll tell you what happens. My father would mm. take that sliver of piece of meat go home hmm. and cook it in the in the wok and get the oil out of the meat and ah. pour that oil into a jar so it hardens into like the white material 
Yeah, and whenever yeah. he cooks vegetable, he will get a spoonful of that stuff and put into the vegetable as cooking oil. That's wow. how we survived. <laughs> Forget about bow. That you may see some of that stuff um, during the holidays, and we can't afford it. It was our grandparents, right, that made it. Go to right. Grandparents' house to have a meal. Mm. Um, and I will, I will remember growing up in China, even in the seventies or early eighties. I will always go hungry. You know, there's mm. just not enough to eat. I'll ask my mom, "Can I have another bowl of rice?" There isn't. That's it, because everything's everything's mm. rationed down to the down to the uh, the, uh, the the rice and the and the, and the flowers. So we mm. came up with the genius ideas of uh, boiling water. So when I get home, of course I'm thirsty, but I would drink a gigantic bottle, a glass of water, mm. probably the size of my head. So I feel full, <laughs> so I can go to bed. <laughs> so whatever that it is I'm experiencing here in the United States, I can only imagine, you know, uh, I can, I can, I, I mean, I'm lost for words here. I, I, I never could imagine that I could just go and drive up to a window and order a Big Mac. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That, no, that's um, that's I, fantasy. Yeah, that, that feeling is one of, uh, you know, being liberated because you can make a choice. You can say, I want to do this today and that's it is right. available to me. Um, and I think that's one of the um, great things about the U.S., which uh, makes it a force for good among people all that's over right. the world. And that is right. You know, it's a model that everybody looks up to. That is right. Um, so, um, in some ways, and of course, I'm not an American, and much of America that people like us have consumed um, before we got to travel there was through popular culture, right? First it was the cinemas and then it was DC Comics and, mm -hmm. you know, sure. Superman and all that. And then, of course, there was Voice of America Radio, which was a constant companion. Um, if you listen to the BBC, they were always obviously running down America, which was quite humorous given that mm -hmm. they were, you know, but, uh, close allies and so forth. Um, but do you feel, um, having lived in America for so many years, uh, that it sort of mirrors the same kind of experience, which on the other side of America, the Italians and the Irish would have, in the earlier days, experienced when they stepped ashore, you know, in New York and so forth. Uh, have you ever talked about this to mm -hmm. people in other immigrant communities? Sure. Or, you know, I was. I was on uh, Clubhouse yesterday, last night, when all of these things are unfolding. And there's a, uh, uh, a group on Clubhouse called the Culture Club. And they hosted mm. a, a session which there was about 1,300 people on Clubhouse, which I also mm. share some of my personal experience. Now, one of the other speakers, which is much more talented than, anybody, <laughs> than, than I will ever be, uh, she spoke of this concept called the perpetual immigrant concept or stereotype. Mm. And what that is, Gustav, is doesn't matter if you're first, second, third, fourth generation immigrant mm. or Americans, mm. if you will, just mm. because the color of your skin, the way you look, um, you will always be looked at as an immigrant, a perpetual immigrant stereotype. So even if your great-great-grandfather came to America, your fifth generation Asian-American, if you will, um, this, this society, this you know, unfortunately, the society will always look at us as a 
perpetual immigrant. And that has a lot of different consequences, probably hard to unpack all of it in this podcast. But sure. if you can imagine somebody or some race or some group of people in your society that you would never, ever accept them as part of your culture, your population, you fill in the blank, there, there will be stereotypes, there will be prejudice, there will be ignorance, there will be misunderstanding, there will be fear. And there will yep. be decisions made to, to, to make that group of people a forever outcast. And that's one thing that really resonated with me last night on, on, a, on, on a clubhouse is that um, maybe, I'm trying to recall what my whole experience here in America for the past 30 years, maybe there, was a, there are some elements that I was treated a certain way that I didn't have the recognition then, but hindsight, mm you know, basically brought some clarity to me and say, maybe that was because of these, you know, you know, uh, conscious or un unconscious discrimination or, you know, these type of uh, stereotypes of prejudice, uh, pre prejudice. So is that, that kind of uh, uh, either, you know, um, made me who I am today or some other demons that, that I have in society. I don't know. I, I'm super confused now <laughs> about uh the past 30 years of my personal experience here in America. And certainly when I talked to my mother, um, she has seen some stuff over the years. Uh, it's incredible. I just, just, uh, I, I feel the Italians, the, the, um, the Irish, you know, the, even the African-American experience mm. in so many ways. Right. Um, and mm. this, this, this isn't this week or this month or this year. It's always been there. Um, mm. We are um, the Asian Americans or Chinese Americans, if you will. We are quote unquote stereotyped as model citizens or model immigrants because we don't mm. question what's going on. We, you know, bury our feelings inside. We don't cause trouble to placate to white supremacy. Right? Oh, that's a group of people that will never pipe up. Doesn't matter what I do to them. Even mm. today, this week, murder, homicide. But I think as a uh, community, we need to speak up. And uh, certainly I did uh, on social media to, to voice my uh, concern. Uh, again, it didn't arise from this week's incident in Atlanta, uh, but it's always been there in a very subtle way. Anyways, I'll pause. Yeah, no, that's thanks for, you know, um, sort of unburdening your uh, thoughts and um, sharing them. Um, uh, one of the peculiar things that I always notice is, and this is not true just for America, it's in many other countries as well, is that the, you know, the way we look at people is often framed through popular culture. And I always come back to it because that is what... Um, comes into our minds and our senses because we consume that all the time. We consume books and literature and newspapers and magazines and television and online content. So much of that content is actually designed and created by immigrants themselves, the mm -hmm. creative industries, just like the tech industry. And today the creative and the tech industry have blended together more or less. Uh, um, this is really an immigrant industry to a large extent. Um, and especially in the U.S., if not, well, that's true in Singapore as well. Uh, even the financing industry is an immigrant industry, mm -hmm. and today 
financing and technology, you and I know that, Tim, more than many other people have come together as well. Um, so how, how do you think, I mean, I, I guess it sounds a bit like a cliche, but how do you think, you know, our industry, which is fundamentally sitting at the crossroads of all these other um, verticals or enterprises, um, is there a way that it can be a force for good or do you feel that it's just a cliche and a well-meaning thing and there's not much that we can do? Uh, no, I, you and I, I, I know that's a, uh, uh, well, I think both of, it, both of us know the answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Otherwise, we'll never have taken the opportunity to come to a, a brand new country and make a living mm. for ourselves or both of us, right, to seek a better life yeah. or seek better opportunities because we believe in change. We believe in a better tomorrow. That's why we yeah. were here talking today. Right, yeah. connected. I don't know how we met. I, I think we met just through some other form numbers of years yeah. ago, and we're connecting today uh, because we know that we can rise beyond all fear, all prejudice, all limiting factors. You can name all of them and connect on a fundamental way to move the ball forward to make the world a better place today, tomorrow, if not for ourselves, or for our children. So the answer is absolutely resounding yes, that this is everything we built, everything we touch is for a better tomorrow. Um, hmm. But there is something else I want to bring up. Sure. That you and I, including our audience, are probably very well educated, well, well, very well um, positioned economically, social economically speaking, right? Then, hmm. then there is a long tail of people that you and I both know that work at minimum wage, some places are you know, being abused for, as a laborer because of their education background, because mm. of their um, you know, visa status, whatever it might be, that they, right. the only place that they can work at is massage parlors, Chinese restaurants as a dishwasher, under the table to do some really dirty work that nobody else wants to do, right? Mm. We need to give a voice to them and those are the people that are being attacked on the street, in 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 massage parlors, if you will, right? There's they're real people. They're not animals. They're not disposable. You can't mm. just rape and murder them if you feel like it. They're still people. So you and I have a different experience, right? We may have had our you know difficulties in life, but it compares nothing like what those ladies in Atlanta the gentleman in Oakland, right? The grandma that, you know, in San Francisco experienced this past yep. week, right? They're, they're, we got to give them voice. And it's our, it's our, it's our chance or it's, it's our responsibility in so many ways to protect them. Mm, so mm, mm. you and I, we build really cool stuff. We help advance the worlds of financial technology, technology itself. But who is there to advance their not their cause, just their voice. You yeah, know, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a slightly kind of a social economic um, kind of a consideration there. But anyways. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's worth remembering that not far away from where you live today, Tim, mm -hmm. uh, James 
missioner wrote Canary Row, um, and that was really about people who used to work in, you know, what was then a very menial trade, and they right. their lives. Um, and uh, up north in San Francisco, of course, you had the work of Jack Lunn much earlier than, you know, the Silicon Valley or the Beats movement came up. That's he right. was writing about, you know, everyday people ranging from gold prospectors and dog sledders right down to the down and out uh, bums and you know, right. common people and all that. So I think that America does have that great um, humanist tradition, which is um, very universal. And the fact that we are able to talk about these things uh, many thousands of miles across from one another. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the ingenuity and the um, enterprise that has come out of this cross-pollination between people of different races and cultures and nationalities. So I hope, um, you know, it's my whole idea today to speak with you was to just let us articulate the collective angst that we, some of us, feel in the tech industry and to say that we can talk about it. And we can agree that we need to do something about it, but at a minimum to give a voice to our sentiments and fears. Um, it's not about the politics or the cultural warfare or something, but just to recognize that here is a problem. That problem is universal. It can happen to anybody anywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, Because a person who's in a, a, you know, a, a certain set of people may be immigrants to the U.S., but Americans can be immigrants elsewhere, and somebody else from somewhere else can be an immigrant to another country. And, you know, in the world of globalization, we need to understand that um, that is the engine which is driving people's um, growth, but also the growth of countries. That's and right. Global so, yeah, it was, it was great speaking with you once again. And, um, yes. You know, we look forward to many such conversations beyond Absolutely. the usual tech. Absolutely. But, um, we'll talk tech next time. That's our favorite subject, and we talk about finance <laughs> next time. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll give the audience some good news next time uh, yeah. on some of the collaborations that we're all, we're all doing. So looking forward yeah. to it. Yep. Thanks very much, Tim, and have a great evening, and we'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Have a great uh, rest of the day. Thank you, Kasaf. Bye. Bye-bye.